fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkel, here with my mutant co-hosts. It's Chelsea Hollowell here, a plant that has become a were-human, and I don't understand how this communication things work. You have to, like, make sounds with this hole in your face, and vibrate in a really weird way don't worry too much about it i feel like most humans also haven't figured out the communication thing that's good to know (laughs) sounds fine to me i'm jack olander a person born with an immunity to magic well specifically only healing magic oh that's a rough uh (laughs) thing to be immune to it hasn't helped me. I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> so you're stuck having to go to those butchers for anything, any surgery you need help with. You have I your just, surgery done in a butcher shop? I just keep a lot of fire nearby to just cauterize. It's just my go-to for everything. Right. It that, heals the wound. Yeah, that's how that works. My coach used to just tell me to put ice on it. No, no, you gotta put fire on it. What an idiot! (laughs) Apply heat. Cauterizing heals the wound. That's why lightsabers work so well. Oh, that's true, yeah. You you notice how they have a hand after it gets cut off? It's (laughs) cauterized, right? Perfect. Well, guys, this is a new year, and we've decided to try a new format for our show. That's right. Uh, That's right, Jamie. Yes. Listeners who are familiar with our show are probably uh, aware that we cover movies on the show, fantasy movies in particular, often that have swords in them or magic or something because they're fantasy. Sandals, yes. Occasionally. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's not uncommon for sandals. But lately we've been doing kind of mini episodes where we've been experimenting with different formats. But I think this time we might have locked into something that will stick. That will stick. Thank you for preempting what I was going to say. We have been together for 22 years. That is true. <laughs> that will stick. Well, uh. <laughs> we know how to finish each other's uh, sandwiches. Right. Yeah. Stick. so this is our first swords and satire tv mini until we come up with a better name for them yeah if anybody has a suggestion other than tv mini that beautiful brilliant name let us know that's right the name does tell you quite a bit though i think because we're going to be talking about episodes of tv shows We're going to follow along a series, uh, season by season, or at least pick a season of a series and watch every episode. And then every other week, we'll talk about that episode. And in between that, we'll have our main episodes where we talk about movies. Yeah. And we think it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about something a little bit different, to follow longer storylines. There's a lot of great fantasy shows that are coming out now. There's a lot of great ones in the past. There's a lot of stuff I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why we had this idea, because there's so many cool fantasy shows coming out right now. And we thought it would be fun to, yeah, be able to delve deeper into the themes and lore of these shows. 
And we're going to start off this week with, I think, one of the coolest ones, The Witcher. Yeah. The Netflix original series starring Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty hype. Pretty hype covering The Witcher. So just so everybody knows, we three have already watched the entire series in the past, but we are re-watching in the, you know, in the distant past for the show that came out, let's see, let me check my notes, in 2019. Yeah. Which is like a decade ago, it feels like. Yeah, that's about right. The Year of the Cats. Oh my God. Cats that's 2019. That's, that's true. Oh, wow. right. Holy smokes. That's I don't horrifying. Know. I think my brain just shuts down whenever somebody talks about that movie. I <laughs> I just always forget what people are talking about. It's like I I think just I, like cats have existed for <clears throat> tens or hundreds of thousands of years. I was years. like, was there a stampede of cats somewhere that I didn't know about? That's what my brain did. Technically, yes. There was a stampede <laughs> of cats in the movie. Oh, God. Cats. I just conveniently forget that that movie exists. I think it's a, a little gift my brain gives me. And I'm, then <laughs> I was going to say, you must be happier for it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let me tell you, watching that film cracked my brain like <laughs> oobleck. And it just kind of re-liquefied afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, we're, we're just trying to get by now. I really we're hate just... the word jellicle. Ooh, it's really gross. It's It, it sounds like gelatin. And it makes it just seem like there's some kind of like horrible, boneless cats, horrible, aberrant ooze monstrosities that just like the form of cats, like something out of Tolkien's world, like with Shelob, who's like a demon who likes the form of spiders and takes that form. Now, Jack, you've seen Cats the movie. This is not a Cats podcast. We're not going to be covering cats ever on this show but you've seen the film is chelsea's analysis of what cats is about accurate well let me tell you <laughs> the amount of definition we get for what jellicle means that what you said could perfectly fit into the lore <laughs> uh you know it just so happens that the first scene is a gelatinous grub-like creature finding the loose skin of a cat in an alleyway and just slithering inside of it no. and turning into a human. No, not really. <laughs> but... That would have been perfect. I was like, what? Chelsea's like, Jellicle my God. Cats. I'm a genius. Are, I've you... unlocked the secret. Are you some sort of fucking monster in a cat skin? No, no, I'm a Jellicle cat. It, it turns <laughs> out that cats takes place in the Bloodborne universe. Yeah. It's like, yes. what does that mean? What do you want it to mean, my child? It's true. Oh, well, God. let me tell you. I mean, it did mean something. It was like a sweet so little scared. cat or something, right? I know, something but it, like it that. Mean, something a kid they made don't up. tell you. No, it, it they don't tell you in the movie. Means, no, it, it essentially means that they're more magical musical. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, but, it's something that uh, I think the creator's daughter made up. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And uh, let me tell you, the plot is they're introducing themselves so that they can be killed by yeah. the leader of their suicide cult and be reborn. <laughs> oh, but well, then... at the very end, there's a moral to the story. And the moral is that a cat is not a dog. That's literally the last thing they leave you with in the final song. I mean, I was going to say, like, it does actually sound like that was a great movie to segue into 2020. Right. Since it did come out at the end of 2019. 
the unspeakable horrors that will be your life. Yeah. So maybe that was the perfect movie that I know for a lot of people was the last film they saw before quarantine happened. Yes. Like so in theaters. It was just, it was a message. It was an omen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now just imagine at the very beginning, the herald of the, uh, of the virus is cats 2019 and the herald <laughs> of the end of the virus and quarantine is going to be the cat's 2019 butthole. <laughs> you mean 2021? Yes, when it's just absorbed. So you're saying virus. life is going to be like a cat's butthole for us after this? That sounds about yes. right. The first time you see... At least it'll be clean. <laughs> the first time you see a cat's butthole on the movie, big screen, it's just going to suck the virus out of everyone's bodies into the cat's butthole. <laughs> and I, the world will be saved. I did um, not know that's how buttholes worked. That's how jellical buttholes work. Good to know. Hello. Good to know. I'm looking forward to that cut of the movie. Maybe I'll finally watch it. Yeah, there's a 10-hour song, I think. So I'm really <laughs> I'm really glad we just talked about jellical cats and buttholes. It seems like the perfect segue into The Witcher. <laughs> I mean, he he fights monsters. Fair. So fair. there we go. There's our segue. Perfect. So, all right, guys, let's just broad strokes describe what The Witcher is. Okay. So this is a show that uh, is based on a series of Polish novels and that were later turned into very popular video game series. The novels are all stories about Geralt's adventures. Yes. Right. And fun fact, uh, Henry Cavill, the actor who plays Geralt, uh, basically <laughs> forced himself into this role. He wanted to play the character so badly that he more or less like pressured his agent to just constantly demand <laughs> that they let him audition until he finally got the part. And you know what? He's fucking perfect for it. I know. I know that that tactic is very heavy handed and maybe a little over the top, but I I don't know why I'm giving him a pass for it. I just love that he's such a super fan that he wanted to play this role so bad. He was so excited to do it. It's just endearing for some reason. I I think I don't feel bad about it because it's for a part in a show. It's right, not like, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, yes, that's very high stakes. That's his job and everything. But like, it's a little bit different of a, like an impassioned, like, I just love this thing so much. I want to be a part of it. Right. Yeah. I think that's why it's easier to, to kind of, find this story endearing when similar stories in other contexts might be less so. Right. He's just so perfect. He really is perfect for the part. It's like a Cinderella slipper. You can't fault him for wanting to put on his own shoe, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But let's talk a little bit about witchers and Geralt specifically. Witchers are basically monster hunters for hire. They are taken from their families at a young age and put through a process of mutation and experimentation to people in the world seem to believe that the process strips them of feelings and emotions. And that's something that 
constantly comes up in the show. Well, they kind of like say that it strips them of their humanity. And the way Geralt talks about himself and humans, he seems to kind of agree with that to some extent. Like he seems like he feels like he's not part of the human race. Sure. Because of how many mutations he's gone through. He feels like an outsider to the human race, Absolutely. based on the way he talks about himself. And, and in the show, especially everywhere he goes, he's kind of treated in kind by people. But whether or not, you know, what the actual mutations do, other than making him super strong, super resistant, what effect they have on people's emotions, I would say is up for interpretation based on the character. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of like Jedi. He's not emotionless. He's stoic. He's been trained in this tradition of stoicism as part of his training, his combat training. Uh, that's the, more of the impression I get. And that the idea that their mutations make them so they don't feel is just a way for people to marginalize them and, and take away their personhood so they can feel justified in the way they ostracize witchers. Right. Yeah, it feels like their creation is considered very cruel as well. So even amongst the community that creates witchers, I believe they are not well liked or right. treated. Yeah, there's a bit of a theme of victim blaming when it comes to witchers. It's Kind of like the way witches were treated in European history, because women that were given that title were often healers, and people grew to look down on them and kind of hate them and ostracize them, but they also needed their services Excellent and would go connection. to see them. And and witchers are kind of like that. People look down on them and are are rude and inhospitable toward them, but then they also hire them and, and require their services because there are real monsters in this world. And there are other things they need help with, like witchers also help with investigations and stuff like that. Right. So, I mean, much like essential workers in our own world, witchers do something that is very important and get very little credit or respect for doing it, even though most people could not or would not want to do these jobs. Yep. So I said it any better myself. The uh the old complain about the way you do it, but I'm not willing to do it myself for you. <laughs> yeah, classic. So it sounds like there's a little bit of class struggle in this show. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. All right, but so that's You're going to have to explain to me what that means later on. Oh, I'm sure I will. <laughs> uh so okay. So the show follows Broad strokes. The, the show covers a lot of ground. We're going to get into that. But it follows kind of two central characters. One is Geralt of Rivia. The other is Ciri, who in this show is a, I would say, like middle teenage young woman who is a princess I'm, of the kingdom of Sintra. Yeah, she's like 12 or 13. And so, yeah, the, Geralt and Ciri are kind of the two principal character of this show but the cast is very large there's yeah. a ton of characters a ton of interactions we're gonna meet a dozen or so important characters throughout the course of this season plus tons of side characters and that you know will what affect I'm, the course of the story they're important characters even if they're not 
you know, primary. And you know what? I, I just realized I'm wrong because there's another important character. Well, I was going to wait for you to finish talking so I could tell you how you are wrong. Sure. That's, that's a good approach. That was just based on this Stick. one episode. <laughs> Where we kind of follow yeah. Geralt and yeah, Ciri. Yeah, yeah, but that's true. there's another important character who is... Are we going to say her now, or is that spoiler? I mean, you can, you can just mention that there's another person who's important. <laughs> well, I remember her, but I forgot her name. Yennefer. <laughs> Yennefer. <laughs> She's so important. <laughs> But I was going to tell you how name. you were wrong, and then I don't even know what her fucking name is. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. So, mm. yeah, Yennefer. She's one of the other main characters. It's kind of like a triad here. Yeah, but we won't talk too much about Yen because we haven't met her yet up to this point. But just if you haven't watched the show yet, again, kind of three roughly main characters and you follow their storyline and we kind of like throughout the show we get to see how their narratives intertwine as we go right so i think that's a good overarching picture of the show yeah why don't we get into season one episode one the introduction to this world for television the episode is called the end's beginning Roll that sweet intro music. <laughs> okay, guys. So, The Witcher, Season 1, Episode 1, The End's Beginning. This episode was directed by Alec Sakharov, and it was written by the show's showrunner, Lauren Schmidt-Hisrick. Let's talk a little bit about what goes on in the episode before we start digging deeper down into it. Okay. So in this episode, we get to reintroduce ourselves to the patriarchy. We get to shake their hand. And so that's interesting. <laughs> Is that what happens? <laughs> that's what the show is all about, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so there are like a few key narrative threads that we get introduced to in this episode. And one of the major themes of it, this episode is like the patriarchy. So I was just kind of doing a bit, but mm -hmm. we are introduced to kind of like the world as we've already described it at, uh, through this episode. And we figure out about witchers and who Geralt is through conversation and actions he takes. So Geralt is traveling through Blaviken. Good old Blaviken. I remember my summers there. And it seems like he's there because he saw there was a bounty to kill a particular creature. A Kikimora. Yeah, this big, crazy spider-like thing. I'm going to call it a giant river spider. Yeah, that's fair. And when I say giant, I don't mean giant in spider terms. I mean giant in human terms. This thing is... As large as a bus. So when he yeah. goes into Blaviken to get the bounty, to collect the bounty, he finds out that the Aldermaster, the person who would pay him, won't see him, but that he might be able to sell the remains of the, what is it, the Kikimora, to the local wizard, uh, Master Stregobor. 
Well, actually, he's told that he could sell it to Master Irion, but when he gets to the tower where Master Irion is supposed to be, he finds out that Stregobor is actually the one living there. Oh, and he's taken on the other guy's name because he's in hiding. Yeah, because he's a shithead wizard yeah. doing shithead wizard stuff. <laughs> Probably like reading a book or something. <laughs> Nerd. And he believes in this prophecy about a curse. It's called The Curse of the Black Sun. Ooh, that's a cool name. And mm -hmm. it is a pretty cool idea because in this curse, <laughs> it's uh, a solar eclipse. And it's supposed to be heralding the return of Lilith. And it will be the end of mankind. And any princesses born on the Black Sun were... I think there was like 50? 60. There, it was believed they were born with the mark of this curse and that they would have powers and that them kind of coming into their full power later on as adults, as women, would end up bringing about the end of the world and Lilith would come to power and be reborn or summoned somehow. I don't know. Just generally wrecking havoc, fucking shit up, you know, doing cool stuff. It seems like this is a belief system. Some other people in the world are skeptical about if this prophecy is even accurate or if the curse is real. Stregobor seems to be a fanatic. Uh, so much so that he... I mean, he has a person with power. In this world, mages... Magicians. Wizards. Wizards. Casters. They Magic users. Sorcerers. When they come from a particular order of wizards, they have power and they operate within the royal courts of the different kingdoms. And so he had the power necessary to order people to go basically kill all these young girls because he was afraid of their power. That's yeah. why I said it was about the patriarchy. <laughs> it's very heavy-handed. Um, well, and there's other bits that we're introduced to early on, like when Geralt is going to meet Stregobor, who he thought was uh, Irion, he's being led by this young woman, Marilka, and Marilka thinks that Geralt doesn't want to talk to her because... Or doesn't want to tell her about being a witcher because, as she says, girls aren't allowed to be witchers. Yeah. So we're kind of introducing, you know, the, the, the series does a lot to introduce this idea of maybe assumptions about gender. It also is going to show that the world is pretty superstitious. There's a lot of beliefs, a lot of folk beliefs like Stregobor's idea about this curse of the Black Sun. Like, nobody can confirm it, right? Because, oh, you say, oh, well, there's a curse. We got to do this thing. Oh, we killed all the girls. So everything's fine. You know, you can't, like, test that these young women would not have caused the end of the world. There's no way to confirm or deny his claims. Exactly. So he saw what he thought was evidence for his prophecy and myth. Because after they cold blood murdered these young women. Yeah. They performed autopsies and discovered that they did have mutations, which made them immune to most spells. And they were like, oh, you see? What if she's a nice little girl and then her mutations make her massacre hundreds of people the next year, right? Yeah, and 
he does seem to really believe the prophecy. But yeah. if you think about it another way, you, you could see how he might have done what he did, even if he didn't. Because totally. if it came out that there were all these women, girls and women who were born with a mutation to be able to resist magic, that would totally invalidate his power source. Right. Yeah. They were a threat to him one way or another. Yeah. He's and, a he's a fear monger, you know. Mm -hmm. And he really is, which we'll see by the end of this episode. He's very good at mongering fear. Yes. So it's interesting. It, it there are certain areas of this world where gender roles are fairly rigid and areas where they're more fluid. Now, there's an important detail but, that we've uh, skipped over, which is uh, when Geralt first arrives in Blaviken, yes. he is treated like, I mean, not even a second-class citizen, like somebody who people do not want there at all. And he's basically told that he can't have a drink at the bar until a young woman named Renfrey is like, hey, get him a drink and get me one too. She's the only one in the entire tavern who will treat Geralt with respect. And we find out that one of these young women that Stregobor wanted killed is Renfrey, the right. one person who was nice to Geralt in the entire town. And she did not know that he was going to go see Stregobor. Doesn't seem like it, no. But she was there trying to find him. So, as Jamie mentioned, she is was able to survive the killings. She was one of the girls years beforehand that Stregobor had singled out for death. And it it turned out she did have this mutation, she admits to Geralt at one point in the episode, and says that magic doesn't really work on her. And we see evidence of that when Geralt tries to cast a spell. We forgot to mention that witchers also know these signs. They're like magical incantations they can use with a word and a particular motion of the hand, we see Geralt try to mind control people in the first episode. He uses a push spell to shove some folks. It's very cool. They they do a, usually a one-handed motion to draw a sign in the air and then push forward with their palm of their hand and their willpower to bring it into being, whatever it is, whatever they're casting. And it's not considered to be the same type of magic as wizards use. No, but Renfrey is immune to it yeah. either way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And let's backstep a sec to when Geralt was talking to Stregobor back in the tower. Stregobor is talking about how he's aware that Renfrey, one of the princesses that survived, like you mentioned, is still alive and hunting him in the city. And he's basically telling Geralt like, hey, you've deduced my true intentions are that I want you to hunt a monster. You're a witcher, right? I want you to kill this chick who's been hunting me down. Right. She's going to kill me. And isn't that what a monster is? Someone <laughs> who just kills for pleasure? That's what she's going to do. Somebody who wants to kill me? That's the definition of a monster. Exactly. A woman who... I, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. And uh, Geralt is essentially like, you know, Stregobor... You seem a lot like a fucker. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to, right? And Stregovor is like, oh, come on, Geralt, right? He also, it's, also kind of introduces this idea where he, where um, Stregobor tells Geralt that killing Renfri would be the lesser of two evils. And Geralt kind of says, like, I've gotten to the point where if somebody's trying to get me to pick the lesser of two evils, I just don't want to make a choice at all. Exactly. Yeah. And that shows a little of an interesting thing that Stregobor knows he's not a good guy, but he's okay with it. He's made his peace with that. Yeah, uh, this is highlighting one of the other major themes of this episode, which is the um, difference between good and evil and different people's definitions of what good and evil are. And yeah. then also that like part of that is like who is the real monster here? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, which is something that like I mean I I would say kind of arches through the Witcher like the games and everything like you're a monster hunter but you know isn't the biggest monster actually man? <laughs> it's true. And when we were watching the behind the scenes of the Witcher or the making of, the showrunner was mentioning how a big theme they focused on was whether or not Geralt is a monster himself or just a bad person who makes immoral decisions, right? And you can keep that in mind when we are telling you about what's happening in the show. Come to your own conclusion. Watch it yourself, too. But Stregobor's like, you gotta go kill her, man. She's crazy. She's gonna kill me, right? She has two X chromosomes. And so uh <laughs> Geralt is leaving, right? He's 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 fed up with this guy. He goes out, he's chilling in the woods. He had already met Renfrey in the bar, and she finds him and she's like, Hey, you went and talked to Stregobor. He told you about me, didn't he? Geralt's like, Of course. Now hold on, I I just want to point yes. out this is where we get a name for I think one of the most important characters in the entire series, Geralt's horse Roach. Yes. And we find out that Geralt likes to tell Roach stories of his adventures. Mm-hmm. And she says, like, that's sad. And so she proves right then that she doesn't know what having a friend is. Yeah. Or or how to have empathy or build a relationship with something. Another being, you know. That's interesting, though, because she talks about... Because she has this crew of, of guys who work for her. She calls them her men. You know, they're... They're thugs, basically. Mm -hmm. They're the thugs that were trying to kick Geralt out or start a fight with Geralt early on. And she's like, oh, you know, I know they're rough, but they're not so bad. And I love them and they love me. So, like, she does have relationships. Yeah, but it's predicated on doing violence together. Yeah, but I mean, a relationship's a relationship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, her gaggle of goons. Yeah, that's a good name for it. Yeah, well... To look a little bit closer at that, we get some insight when Renfrey is talking with Geralt as to how her escaping from the princess murders went down. And Stregobor essentially sent a hunter to kidnap her, but was instead brutally violated and tortured and barely got away surviving that interaction. And it hardened her and set her on kind of a warpath of vengeance, to which she has never broken. She's very single-minded in her focus in life. Yeah, It's the fire by which she lives, right? And when she asks Geralt if 
wanting to get revenge and being unable to turn away from that path makes her a monster. And he just blatantly just is like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we, yeah. we yes, kind of... I am judging you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll kill you. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we also get this kind of question of, you know, did Stregobor fulfill his own prophecy by sending somebody after Renfri? If he hadn't paid somebody to do terrible things to her, she probably wouldn't even know who he was. But later on, she comes back to the forest again, sees him and says... And, and lies to him, we find out, and says that she's going to leave. She's going to leave Blaviken. She's going to leave Stregobor alone. They have an intimate night together. They, they form, a bow wow. They, but they also seem to form a bond beyond that. Yeah. And Geralt starts to have visions of her. In his dreams. And he wakes up and realizes that she's going to be killing people in Blaviken. She didn't leave. And he goes there and they have a confrontation he kills all of her men when they're facing off. That's when he tries to do the magic spell against her and she tells him it won't work. But then she says, but silver will. And he says, that's for monsters. Like, I'm not going to use that on you. But before he called her a monster, but now he, now that they've had a bond, he doesn't want to think of her that way. Well, and, and just to clarify, when she says silver will, this is an allusion to the witcher's silver sword. Yes, so they have a, a steel sword for, for killing people, for human foes, and, and a, a silver, silver sword, sword for killing monsters. For monsters, <laughs> and so that's what she's alluding to. Silver will like you're going to have to use that sword, and he's saying that's for monsters. Like I'm not going to pull that sword against you. He doesn't even want a fighter. No, he they are they have a very interesting fight and. We could talk about that, but I would suggest people check out a YouTube video by Jill Barrup, who does excellent analysis of narrative delivered through fight scenes in film. And so, what's her YouTube show cool. called again? Jill Barrup. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she's a uh, self-ascribed uh, amateur stage combat fighter. And uh, she likes to break down stage combat in, in films and TV shows. And it's really interesting. And she does a better job than we'd be able to. So that would be a good place to kind of learn a little bit more about this fight. But the summation is that Geralt is very hesitant, does not want to fight Renfri, especially does not want to kill her. But in the end... She kind of forces his hand. She keeps coming after him. He gives her several pauses throughout the fight to try to let her take a step back and stop fighting him. And in the end, it seems like his instincts take over and he ends up killing her when he was trying not to. And it's really sad. And they share kind of like they, they meet eye contact. He's holding her in his arms it's a very intimate scene in a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. It's true. And while she's dying in his arms, the last thing she leaves him with is a prophecy. Right. Yeah. The prophecy that you can't escape the girl in the woods, right? Or you, no, no, to, to follow the girl in the woods. To, she follow to, the girl in to the woods. seek the girl in the woods. She will always be with you. Which is, I was going to say, also the vision that Geralt has of Renfri after their night of uh, sexy passion. Yes. It's this repetition of 
this thing about the girl in the woods. The imagery of the woods. And we don't know what that means at this point if we haven't seen the show. It's true. And if she was immune to magic, why did they have such a magical night together? (laughs) Oh, good question. (laughs) Good point. Maybe she wasn't as immune as she wanted him to believe. Mm -hmm. But there are two major themes that I think were illuminated in the scene where she's dying in his arms. The first is the concept of destiny or fate in the series, because it's a huge theme. It is. You're going to hear more about it in pretty much every single episode Mm -hmm. we do of the show. Oh, you're right. She says she's your destiny. Right. That's right. The girl in the woods is your your destiny. destiny. Thank you. And she is always with you. That's how she says it. And... Renfri is a victim of destiny as well. Right. There's a prophecy that has cursed her her entire life. Right. Right? And Geralt, and I won't spoil it because, again, in other episodes, but Geralt is someone who has had a very similar experience with destiny. Yes. It's never been a good thing for him up until this point. Yeah. yeah. As well is the intimacy, the bond that you mentioned that they shared. And... Jamie, the character you mentioned, Roach, when they were when Geralt was talking to the horse, he was telling Roach about the first monster he ever killed. Right, which was another human being. Yes, a man who was going to assault a noble's daughter. Right. And Geralt butchered him. Yeah. <laughs> in front of the family. Mm-hmm. And uh he recounts that the girl threw up and screamed and ran away, right? Or passed out. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't appreciated then. He's still not appreciated. But the point was, is that he's killed people who he's considered monsters in the past. And he empathized with this young woman who was about to be assaulted. Renfrey recounts a story to Geralt of when she was a young woman that was assaulted. And they have an instant connection. She's plagued by destiny. He's plagued by destiny. They're both mutants. And yeah. 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 They both have a lot in common. And they're supposed to form this really deep bond really quickly. And so when she's dying in his arms after like one night and it seems super passionate, it's because they were like, you know, they were super compatible except... You know, she was single-minded in her focus. It must have been something he said. Yeah. So there's a few things in this episode that I feel like, this is just my interpretation, goes in the, or that fly in the face of this idea that witchers don't have feelings. The first is after Geralt in the very opening kills the Kikimora, there's like a wounded deer. And he kind of is looking at it and there's this look of just very brief regret as he says, I guess this isn't your day. And then he kills the deer, but he's in his mind, he's doing it a favor and he seems regretful about this. That's my reading. And then this bond that he's clearly formed with Renfri also, I think, kind of denies this idea that witchers are emotionless monsters or whatever. And there are times when he, like, kind of lets a little smile crack. There is, yeah. So mm-hmm. so just to wrap up the, the Geralt portion, because the show actually jumps between these scenes and another set of scenes. We're going to get to those in a minute because it's easier just to talk about them this way. But after Geralt kills Renfri, Stregobor shows up 
he's like, oh, dude, you killed Renfrey for me. This is great. And Geralt basically says, I'm going to fucking kill you now. You made this happen. You're going to pay for this. And Stregobor basically leverages the fact that the town already doesn't trust Geralt to have them run him out of town. And they and the town starts throwing rocks at him and say, you know, the people say, don't ever come back here. Delivered through the young girl, Marilka, who was like really thankful towards Geralt. I mean, Geralt saved her from Renfrey and she was really interested in Geralt's life. But now she's the one who delivers this message of you better get the fuck out of town. And Geralt grabs a brooch from Renfrey's armor. And it is the significant brooch that she's told the story about. She basically used it to murder the person who attacked her when she was a young girl. And she wears it as a remembrance of that. Right. Yeah. And that's where we leave off with him. But there's a whole other set of scenes that we follow in the episode, like we've been mentioning. Following one of the other two main characters, but only one of them is relevant right now. You remember? <laughs> There's Siri and that other person whose name we don't remember right now. <laughs> but like we mentioned, Siri is this young princess of Sintra. And her timeline, we actually know the scenes that she is the main character of, takes place potentially years down the road from when we are seeing Geralt's portion of the episode. So we're following two different portions of time. And there's a few lines in the conversations that allude to that, because like Renfrey refers to uh, Queen Calanthe's first war that she won. And when we see series timeline, we're following her grandmother, Queen Calanthe, obviously years into her reign as queen. And in the scenes with Ciri, Queen Calanthe mentions that battle as having happened many years in the past. That's right. So that that those are the those are the two main clues we get in this episode that they're we're operating in two different timelines, like Jack said. Definitely. And the first scene we get with Ciri is she's disguised in sort of androgynous, I'd say boyish commoner clothing and she's playing games with the local kids but she's gambling <laughs> yeah she is gambling for bread for bread <laughs> yeah which if she wins that she doesn't seem like the kind of person to keep it and you know class struggle we'll get there or you can bring it up now actually now's a good time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean here we have this classic trope right of the pampered princess who is trying to kind of slum it with the commoners and is literally stealing the food out of their mouths you know if they were that hungry maybe they'd have practiced more that's so yeah we do get the idea that whatever this gambling game they're playing is is something that you can increase your skill at because siri's grandfather basically is like hey are you using those tricks i taught you to win it's a dexterity yeah. game mm -hmm. but we saw again in the behind the scenes that this was a formative scene to set up that Siri is someone who is supposed to be known for their resourcefulness and their adaptiveness. Yeah. Right. She's yeah, adventurous. That helps her 
that mm. helps make her survive. She has a high survivability factor because of those yeah. things. I mean, yeah, it's she true. she sneaks out of the castle. She kind of does her own thing. She's not really into courtly life so much. She'll do no. it because she like wants to keep up appearances with her grandparents, but. It's not her thing. You get the sense that she's really frustrated in her role as a princess, and she complains several times and questions different people, like, why have I been protected my whole life? You know, what's going on here? And she's never really been told the whole truth about her lineage and why she needs to be so protected beyond like her station and i just want to say if there's any princesses out there who are feeling the same as siri i will happily take your place <gasps> i it'd be my it'd be my honor literally mm, i'm sure yes yes i'm sure you were a princess in a past life i know i was <laughs> absolutely but yeah siri she, like you said, she's not the biggest fan of courtly life, but that's kind of the only life that her grandmother wants to set out for her. Her grandmother is a famous warlord. Yes. Right? <laughs> a real ass kicker. Like it's a true. real fucking hard nosed frontline fighter. Her name is the Lion of Sintra, right? Yeah. And it's well deserved. We will find out in not very long from when we first are introduced to these characters. It's true. And in fact, that battle that Renfri mentions in the past is the first battle that Queen Calanthe fought when she was Ciri's age, somewhere around 13. Yeah. So that puts into some perspective how long her military career has been going. Ciri is interested in that. Yeah. She wants to know more about it. She's constant. It's brought up that Siri is often asking how to be better at that sort of martial prowess, tactics, and war, and stuff like that. And you get the idea that she's been kind of protected from that. That's the only exactly. part. Of, that's the only part of courtly life that Siri wants to be a part of. <laughs> Let's get to the killing. Exactly. So Siri's going up to her grandma and saying. How can I hurt people, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just took bread from the poor. I want to kill some people oh that don't live here. Grandma, you <laughs> got to teach me how to kill. Right. She's You're the, the best she's, at it. <laughs> yeah, Siri, they call her the lion cub of Sintra. But um, yeah, her grandfather is essentially the one who kind of vetoes Calanthe's opinion and it's like hey she's gotta learn right yeah and she's her, gonna be in charge one his day his name yeah. is iced yes gra iced? grandpa iced spelled e-i-s-t yeah wow that's a great name yeah yeah and iced yeah he's the kind of fun loving grandpa he's very like having a good time but he, you know he's not into the courtly stuff either he's the one who's been teaching her how to gamble he's the one who helps teach her the military stuff and she he's also the he, one who gossips with siri while queen calanthe is like presiding over court and they're like kind of behind calanthe being like hey like you did you use those knuckle bone techniques i taught you and all yeah. this and, yeah. and calanthe's just like are you fucking kidding me right now <laughs> yeah but for all queen calanthe's you know hard personality and kind of a lot of sharp prickly parts of her personality the grandfather icy 
Iced. 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 He sort of is like the soft spot, the soft spot in her heart. Yeah. He brings out her warm side, her more familial side. Yeah. Absolutely. And we get to see her in a very endearing way. And when they're at this, they're at this ball that they're hosting, this feast, uh, a young noble comes up to Siri and is like, hey, want to dance? And Siri's like, hell no. And the queen is like, hell yes. Hell yes. Yeah, he should, of course she'll dance with you, right? She gives her like a withering yeah, glance, yeah, and yeah, Siri's yeah. like, "Hell yeah, I was born to dance." Actually, <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Right? I don't want to fight the lion of Sintra, <laughs> even, yeah. even if she is my grand. Dancing? I was just waiting for you to ask, right? <laughs> and it's and, not like Siri doesn't know how to do it, right? She, like she's a she's clearly got the courtly training. Yeah, in the next scenes you see her, she knows what she's doing, and she's smiling and laughing with the other people they're dancing with. So yes. she, she's having fun. She just didn't want to like get up. I think she was having a lazy moment. <laughs> well, I, I think she kind of, yeah, she just doesn't want to, like, do the courtly stuff if she doesn't have to, but she's capable of it. Well, and mm -hmm. she was having fun with dancing, like, hanging out with her peers. Yeah. I think she also, like, didn't want to lead that boy on or give him the wrong impression. Either. Sure. But, hey, true. we're about to find out that this might be the last fun that Siri's going to have for quite some time. Because while Siri is dancing with some of the other young nobles of the court... Queen Calanthe's commander of the scouts shows up and basically says, hey, uh, so the Nilf guardians are here. Probably not a good thing. They're like about to show up. Shit's about to go down and Calanthe's face just sinks. That's what we call a little bit of dramatic irony. Because <laughs> she was like, look, this military stuff, it's not going to be important. You won't need to know this. And then immediately they're like, by the way, we're being invaded right now. Yeah. Yeah. Before that, she seemed like she was in denial. Like in the previous breath, she had just said, like, Nilfgaard isn't going to bother us. Yeah. And then the next moment she's told they've already invaded her country. <laughs> yeah. Now, and I think up at this point, up to this point, we've already kind of learned that the Nilf Guardians are regarded as quite brutal, a militaristic conquering nation. Yeah, they're known as conquerors who kind of have slash and burn tactics and they take no prisoners. Wow, they must be a really respected and feared country and have always been, right? Keep an eye out for that in later episodes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Calanthe basically says, let Siri dance. Because, boy, this is probably going to be bad. And after that, I believe the next time we see something in this continuity going, it is Queen Calanthe and King Iced getting ready to lead the charge against a Nilfgaardian force that is double, triple something the size of their own army. And they lead a very well-trained army, uh, the king and queen of Sintra, but they're just so outmatched. So they give them a good fight, but in the end, they have to retreat. And Iced is unfortunately killed in the battle and... By the bird knight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the black bird knight. knight. Yeah, he, um, he's killed by the commander of the other army with an arrow through the eye. 
And and man, Queen Sintra has this like Blanche. moment of realization where she just I mean, you can see the actor just going full on just wallowing in in this moment. I mean, really sad but very powerful scene. Yeah, she really evokes that that feeling of loss and grief. And uh later on it cuts to her being injured in the castle. They retreated, she made it back, but she's seems like she's mortally wounded. Yeah, she's kind of given Siri the old, ah, you know, I'm going to when I die, it's going to be much more dramatic than like laid up in bed. Yeah. And she's not wrong. <laughs> There's also an important character that we haven't mentioned up to this point who's going to play a role later on in the show, too, but who's important this time, too, who is the wizard slash druid Mausak. Yeah, he's the courtly wizard for Sintra, and he has a good relationship with Queen Calanthe. They seem like old friends. and He's been her advisor for many years. And he seems like he's Ciri's mentor as well. And one of her teachers. Exactly. And in fact, when he's watching her, he mentions another anecdote, which oh, puts yeah. these timelines in reference to each other, where he's telling Siri, you know, back in the day when princesses were poorly behaved, they were systematically killed and dissected because they were said to be cursed, right? Right. And that's in reference to Stregobor's Curse of the Black Sun, Inquisition that he led. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he mentioned the way he talked about it. It seemed like a thing of the f far past. Yeah, but it's also right. kind of like a boogeyman story. Like yeah. you know, if you're bad, the boogeyman's gonna come and take you away. Pretty much. Or like the Easter Bunny's gonna come eat your head. <laughs> you guys heard that story when you were a kid, right? That you sp you're supposed to be good, so the Easter Bunny didn't eat your head. Yeah, yeah. Okay, or good. maybe they the have tooth fairy. Powerful fangs. Yeah. <laughs> And well, they the, poop out eggs that have your head in it. The tooth fairy was going to come and eat your teeth. Yeah. You got a, you got two sets. Don't be greedy. <laughs> so Malsek helps protect the castle with a magic spell that creates a kind of an invisible barrier around the castle after they're told that the Nilfgaard army has stormed the capital and is rampaging through the streets. And we see them come up to the castle and bounce back against this barrier. And he basically tells Siri that it'll hold as long as he does. <laughs> Which it seems like it's quite a while because I'm pretty sure the siege of the keep starts in the day and ends at night. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, at, at this point, we also kind of get the information that this show is going to be pretty brutal because... Queen Calanthe basically puts an order in to start delivering poison to all the nobles to commit mass suicide inside the keep because the Nilfgaardians are such fucking brutal murderers that it is better to do that than to let them come in and do it to you. Well, the, she's telling Siri all these hor We won't repeat it here, but she's telling Siri all these horrible ways that the Nilfgaardians torture and kill the people they're conquering. And she does not want that to happen to her people. Or they take feathers and tickle the bottoms <laughs> of your feet until you die. No, it's so brutal. Um, and so she also has Mausik and one of the knights, Laszlo. Laszlo helps Spirit Siri away, and we get these lines that 
they were going to have somebody else take custody of Siri, uh, but that he has... Somebody who was in prison in the castle keep. Yeah, somebody who could protect her, but they've escaped. Or that they're gone. And so after that, that's when she has Mausik and Laszlo try to help Siri escape. And there are secret tunnels to get out of the castle, and that's how they lead her through. Unfortunately, they're all separated. They do make it out of the castle, but Mausik turns back to keep a larger regiment of the Nilfgaard army at bay, and he tells Laszlo to go on without him and he'll catch up to them. And then Laszlo is riding away with Ciri, but then that commander finds them. The one who killed King Iced. And he kills Laszlo with an arrow. He's this crack shot. And the horse, they fall off the horse that they were riding on. And um, he captures Ciri. And he's riding out of the battle with her. He's going to take her to some other location as his prisoner. So he did take her as a prisoner. And they're not known for keeping prisoners at all. So she must... Uh, Queen Calanthe mentioned that capturing Ciri must have been the whole reason they came right. to her kingdom. So she has some kind of great significance for this war, and we don't know yet what that is. But we get some kind of an idea. Yes, we do. Does anybody want to talk about her magic? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, while... This commander is riding off with Siri. She kind of like comes to and starts uh, kind of like freaking out. And it causes this guy's horse to like kind of fall over. And she scrambles away and screams. And the entire fucking earth splits into a chasm that divides them. And she runs off into the woods while this commander dude is like, oh, fuck. So she seems to have some kind of connection to magic, and it is untrained, pretty much. It's when raw. She, it, yeah, it's very raw. When she's upset and feeling these really strong emotions, and when she screams or yells, that's when it comes out, and it's uncontrolled, and it has these violent repercussions, but it does help her get away from this guy. Yeah. And so she runs into the woods. And she's been told by her grandmother, Calanthe, before she escaped to look for Geralt of Rivia. He's her salvation. Dun, dun, dun. And that he will protect her. So she must find him at all costs. And so she's running into the woods and she knows she has to look for this Geralt who she's never met. And, and she has no idea where to find him. And so she's the girl in the woods. We do, you, know. do you think she's going to go to Rivia to find him? Since his, you know, her grandmother said, find Geralt of Rivia. I don't get the impression she's traveled much out of Sintra. So I don't even think she knows how to get anywhere else. <laughs> I also get the impression that Rivia is far away. Yes. Because even outside this episode, no one ever talks about Rivia, except for when in the context of Geralt. <laughs> yeah. No one talks about Rivia without first saying Geralt of. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's like a yeah. little Venice one one city and they just pump out witchers. Could be, yeah. <laughs> Go get them, champ. Well, and that's kind of how the episode wraps up. 
there's just one more thing that I really want to bring up before we move on here. And that's this idea that all good prophecies have to rhyme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was really yes. important, right? That was something that... <laughs> no, there's just this line where Geralt is talking to Stregobor earlier yeah. in the episode in his in Stregobor's, like, nudist pleasure tower, I guess. And he's telling Geralt the story about the, the Curse of the Black Sun. And Geralt's like, nah, I don't believe your prophecy. It doesn't rhyme. All good prophecies rhyme. And I just, <laughs> I fucking love it. Well, that also shows that he's skeptical and cynical of it, too. Yeah. And humorous. Yeah, yeah, and Geralt's got great comedic timing. He does. Yeah. Also, Stregobor, all the beauty within his palace was illusion. Yes. Right. Which is essentially like you're meeting a potential boss of yours, and he's just playing pornography <laughs> on his television. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, ah, what do you think of my office? Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I get uh, <laughs> it's flashy. It's bold. Yeah. <laughs> It was bold. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, that's episode one of season one of The Witcher, The End's Beginning. Oh, The End's Beginning. Maybe that's significant. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Maybe we'll talk more about that in future episodes and how that plays into the overarching storytelling style. But I, I think it's pretty clear to tell that we really enjoy this show. I think we're going to have a really good time talking about it. I'm really looking forward to delving deeper into this with you guys. Yeah, me too. I, I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see how the themes play out episode to episode, which ones are more encapsulated within one episode and which ones are kind of overarching themes for the show. And we'll get to talk about that. I don't know if we're allowed to reference the hit song that came out of this show. So I'll reference it the most indirect way possible. Provide currency from a distance to your monster hunter. Uh, Canyon of Fortune. Very nice. Well, and hey, if you want to toss a coin to your satirists. Yeah. Then you can head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire. And help us keep the torches lit here at Castle Satire. And, you know, if that's not in your budget, we totally understand. Maybe give us a follow on social media at Swords and Satire. And you can also tell people you know about us. And uh, if you think they like fantasy or just like to hear people talk about things and analyze them in a somewhat humorous fashion. Another extremely helpful way to help out the show and not spend a penny is leave a review at Apple Podcast or whatever podcast streaming service you use to give a, a nice heads up for new viewers for what they're getting into. And that'll pretty much do it for us here this week. But until next time, Hail, Hail Crom! Crom.